0: So with that we are getting back on our schedule which now that I'm standing here and I'm thinking this through was probably not the best idea to have a big breakfast and then go all right Exodus 38 in the tabernacle that's going to be exciting <laughs> Almost, we Yeah well you know so we're going to try it and see what happens so again I I will not hold it against you if you if you pass out on me I understand <laughs> So If you have no idea where we are in Exodus, then I don't blame you. It has been over a month since we have been here. We are in the midst of building the tabernacle. So the fun part about this, if you have a really twisted sense of fun, is that Moses was given all of the the instructions when he was up the mountain. Now he has come down the mountain and passed on those instructions, and they are building it, which means we're going over... The building of the stuff, we were already told in detail how to build. So there's a lot of repeated information. And so I debated on skipping this because I just know that once I tell it to you guys one time, there is just no need for me to ever repeat it ever again, right? (laughs) Now, this is where you actually get a good rule of thumb for your Bible. Because... I, I've joked with you in the past that I had one of my Old Testament and Hebrew professors in seminary used to joke, what do you get out of Leviticus? You get out of it as fast as you can. And we treat a lot of Scripture like that. I mean, let's be honest. If I gave you the option, like, you could read the Gospel of John, or you could read um, Habakkuk. How many of you be like, ooh, give me some Habakkuk? Yes, like I have Zephaniah quotes on the tip of my tongue, right? No, 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 nobody does that except, you know, weirdos like me. So, we pick and choose and live and label favorites, but God does not. He recorded it in scripture for a reason, which means there is value in it. Which also means that if he repeated himself then there is value in the repeat, and it would behoove us. Yes, we're going to drop the big words today. It would behoove us to go through that repeat and actually understand it. Does that sound good? So as the, uh, as the French guards at the castle said, we shall go through this a second time. And if you have no idea what I'm talking about, then you are a better human being than I am. So Exodus 38, let us dive right in. Then he made the altar of burnt offering of acacia wood, five cubits long, five cubits wide, square, and three cubits high. He made its horn on its four corners, the horns being of one piece with it, and he overlaid it with bronze. Now, always remember the important part about this, that we are dealing with an example That has been given to Israel. Hebrews chapter 8 covers this. Every high priest is appointed to offer both sacrifices and gifts. So it is necessary that this high priest, he's talking about Jesus by the way, also have something to offer. Now if he were on earth... He would not be a priest at all, since there are those who offer the gifts according to the law, who serve a copy and shadow of the heavenly things. Just as Moses was warned by God when he was about to erect the tabernacle, saying, See that you make all things according to the pattern which was shown you on the mountain. But now he has obtained a more excellent ministry, by as much as he is also the mediator of a better covenant, which has been enacted on better promises." we see a visual of this if you go through the book of revelation because what do you have one of the uh, angels of woe and judgment and lamentation going on in the book of revelation takes an altar that he has incense with and he hurls it at the earth you'll have to read that to go over all that fun stuff well why does he have an incense um, censer? because there's an altar of incense there's an altar in the temple there's an altar before god why because where is Christ's sacrifice truly offered? Is it offered to God merely upon a cross? That's our understanding of it. But where is God's sacrifice offered? Before God in his holy tabernacle. This is why Christ's sacrifice can be eternal. Because Christ, risen, seated at the right hand of the Father, that sacrifice, when is it no longer in effect? Because he dwells and stands before the Father as a living Sacrifice. Therefore, the sacrifice is always in effect and it is always good. So, you get a picture of this in the work of the tabernacle. Always, always remember this. Okay. This is one of the places people get messed up. So, be, be warned, it's the day after Christmas and we're off the notes. The reason, one of the reasons why people say, well, there's two salvations, and you'll hear this all the time there's that Old Testament law salvation, you know, good works that get you there, and then there's that New Testament faith stuff. And I'm, I'm, we covered this already. How many messages? One. So, how many salvations? One, and we're not going to go over all the proof of that right now. We'd run out of time. But the reason, one of the reasons people do that is they see, well, there's this Old Testament sacrificial system, and it's what was supposed to save Israel. Mm. That sentence is full of problems and will always lead you in a bad place. It is meant to demonstrate and point to the salvation that will be wrought by who? By Christ in his completed work. It is a hope. This is why Hebrews talks about the blood of bulls and goats that can never take away sin. It's a reminder of the people that we are offering, and by God's grace, this lamb is cleansing us. But we know this lamb cannot cleanse us, because what are we going to do next year? We're going to offer another lamb, and they're going to offer another sacrifice tomorrow at the tabernacle, and they're going to have another offering, and it's always going to be something after another. I mean, let's be honest. Um, If you're an animal lover, you don't want to be born a Levite, do you? I mean, there could be no members of PETA amongst the Levites because your job every day at the tabernacle, every day at the temple is to offer a sacrifice on behalf of the people before God every day. Even if you're not a person that that bothers, after a while, you're still going to think what? After a while? I mean, I'm just, I'm just tired of this. Just, that's kind of the point. The hope is not in you. The hope is not in your works. The hope is not in your sacrifice. The hope is in God, the eternal sacrifice. This is, um, we read this for Christmas Eve. This is the, uh, the, my brain doesn't want to untie my tongue this morning. This is the comment about the birth of Noah. Noah's name means what? Who knows? It? No, that's Moses. Noah's name means rest, because what's his father proclaim? Maybe this one will give us rest from the toil of our hands, that the, from the ground that God has cursed. It's a constant hoping that who is going to redeem? God. We can't. We work. We live. We sin. We die. And the hope is in god this sacrificial system is supposed to do the same thing for the israelites to remind them that day after day festival after festival year after year there is a work of god that is being accomplished that's why jesus in the in the gospel of john is so insistent what are all those festivals supposed to be pointing to him so you see the lights all around the temple Jesus proclaims what? I am the light of the world. You see the well. I am the living water. I am the bread. I am all of these things. They were all supposed to be filled in Christ. They were all meant not to point you to be like, we're good for another year. We offered our Passover. no this lamb doesn't cover us. We need God's fulfillment. We need that seed of the woman to crush the serpent and his offspring in order to be truly redeemed. That's why this tabernacle is so important, is it's pointing you another step, another link in the chain throughout your Old Testament to get you closer to the work of Christ. It's revealing just just a little bit more. So... Verse three, he made all the utensils of the altar: the pails, the shovels, the basins, the flesh hooks, the fire pans. He made all its utensils of bronze. He made for the altar a uh, he made for the altar a grating of bronze, network beneath, under its ledge, reaching halfway up. If I could keep one line as I read, we would be in really good shape, wouldn't we? Okay, let's be honest. Would you have written all that a second time? you have been like, he made all the stuff for the altar. Why do we need to? Go back to verse three real quick, Araceli. Like this, this, he made the pails and the shovels and the basins and the flesh hooks and the fire pans, all the utensils. Like we could have just covered that with all the stuff. Why do we care so much about details? Christian, who else cares about details? Yeah, God cares about details. Luke 12, are not five sparrows sold for two cents? Yet not one of them is forgotten before God. Indeed, the very hairs of your head are all numbered, no matter how many those actually are. Do not fear you are more valuable than many sparrows. This, there you go. This was our lesson from when we were going through Advent, our week on love, is that God loves his creation, and he demonstrates that by loving what in his creation? Does God just work amongst peoples? No, he works amongst people. He works amongst, see, we we talk about this all the time. I want Rockford to be better. What do I need to accomplish for that to happen? Like, do do I just like bippity boppity boo and Rockford is healed, we passed the right law, we elected the right mayor, we got a better police chief and Rockford is now awesome. No, because it's still full of what? People, (laughs) what's always the problem? the us this is what who was laughing at me the other day there's somebody talking about they, um, they, they can't ever find a perfect church and I'm like if I ever found a perfect church you know what I wouldn't do I wouldn't go you know why because I'm gonna mess them up because I'm gonna be the problem that's why your answer should be I don't go to church because there's so many hypocrites you know what your answer should be that every time we can take one more <laughs> it'll be okay we can have one more Because what you've just described is, where's the problem lie, Christian? With us, always. God redeems people from every tribe, tongue, and language by redeeming people. The devil is not in the details. God is in the details. You see a picture of this. He demonstrates, I care about how you make spoons and knives for my tabernacle. Do you think he starts working in your life and cares less? No, if he did, he wouldn't be God. This is where you're understanding big theological word of the day, immutability. God does not change. He doesn't care about this and not care about that. He doesn't care a whole bunch about this and leave that alone. He cares and operates in all of these things the same way. So the same God that puts this detail into the building of the tabernacle puts the same detail into the working out of your salvation, your sanctification, the building of his kingdom. And he does that work not by saying, all right, this is what we got to do for Calvary Baptist Church. Now, does he do that? Yes. But the way he accomplishes that by working amongst the People of Calvary Baptist Church. I want a better city. I need better people in the city, which means we need to make disciples. I want a better county. Same thing. A better state. Same thing. A better nation. Same thing. A better world. The same thing. We've, we've talked about this a thousand times. It starts with who first? My, my first ministry is always at home the people that God has given me influence over, and then those little concentric circles as they go out. This is how we build and disciple. I can't go fix the people over there if I don't have any input to the people over there. And I may never have the input to the people over there. So I have one of two options. I either go over there, or I work on the people between me and there, and then we get there that way. Pick it and go, because that's how God is operating, by living and changing the lives of the people that he is dealing with. So, verse 5. He cast four rings on the four ends of the bronze grating as holders for the poles. He made the poles of acacia wood and overlaid them with bronze. He inserted the poles into the rings on the sides of the altar with which to carry it. He made it hollow with planks. Remember our rules about the tabernacle here. Portability is king. It is vitally important that this bad boy can move. Why? Because Israel has not gotten where they are going. They're in the wilderness. That's not their, oh, I'm going to say the bad uh, double whammy there. It is not their final destination, as if there's a destination that isn't final, because that's literally what the word means, is, you know, when you get to your destiny. But they're not where they're supposed to be yet, and who is not going to leave them alone? God. Therefore, the house for his name, his dwelling amongst the people, is going to, when they move, it's going to move too. That's why, again, you get to the end of Deuteronomy. What can Moses rightly say? Moses called to Joshua and said to him in the sight of all Israel, Be strong and courageous, for you shall go with this people into the land which the Lord has sworn to the fathers to give them, and you shall give it to them as an inheritance. The Lord is the one who goes ahead of you. He will be with you. He will not fail you nor forsake you. Do not fear or be dismayed. Which is again why Paul in Hebrews, remember this is our our official church position on Hebrews. It is a sermon by Paul written down by Luke, so we're just giving Paul credit. Make sure that your character is free from the love of money, being content with what you have. For he himself has said, I will never desert you, nor will I ever forsake you. So that we may confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What will man do to me? In other words, my hope. We have a song like this. My hope is in who? God. My trust is in who? God. My provision is in who? It is in God for all of these things. I don't look to the world for my peace because they don't have any. I look to God. I don't expect to get love from the world because the love of many has grown cold. I seek love and joy and understanding in Christ, in his great salvific work, and then I build out on that. I can't accomplish it according to the ways of this world, according to their methods, according to their understandings, because they don't work. They're broken why? Why is the world broken? We covered this. People are broken. And where do people live? (laughs) They live in the world. Therefore, whenever we get involved, what happens? Yeah. Yeah. Theological term. Nothing good ever. So, verse 8. Moreover, he made the laver of bronze with its base of bronze from the mirrors of the serving women who served at the doorway of the tent of meeting. Remember, this is for the, the washing. Now, some of, some of the commentaries try to make a big deal out of the fact that the priests have to wash up before they go in because it's, it's part of their cleansing. But be honest, is that little bit of a washing going to really get them clean? No. But is it symbolic of something? Yes. Yes, it is. You wash your hands, because what are your hands getting ready to do, priest? Getting ready to offer sacrifice behind the of God. It's a reminder that why do these hands get to do this work? Because I'm good? No, because God is good. It's Jesus in the upper room dealing with the disciples. Jesus said to Peter, He who has bathed needs only to wash his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not all of you. Who wasn't clean in the room? No, no, it wasn't Peter. Who wasn't clean in the room? Judas. Because Judas is getting ready to do some, some terrible work. He's the son of perdition from the Gospel of John. But what was the message? I always remember who he's speaking to when he's in the foot washing. Who objects? Peter objects. Don't, you're not going to wash my feet. That's unthinkable. Well, if I don't wash you, you have no part in me. Well, in that case, wash all of me. The short version is Jesus' answer there is, I already have. I already have. It's a lesson. Which is a very good lesson for Peter because what's Peter going to get ready to do in about an hour and a half? <laughs> It's longer than that, but he's gonna stand in a courtyard and do what? Jesus? What's a Jesus? Never, no, never, never, never heard of a Jesus guy. No, 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 don't know him. Never met him. Couldn't pick him out of the line and put a gun to my head. No, no, no idea who this guy is. And yet he's clean, Christian. There's hope for you in that, because let's be honest. We always talk that you have been saved, you are saved, and you're being saved. Does it feel like that a lot of days, <laughs> or does it feel like the I-, I need to go take another dip someplace? No, you don't. You're in Christ. You are clean. Never say it flippantly, but always realize that for that too, Christ died. Not like you woke up one morning and be like, I cannot believe I have just discovered this sin. I cannot believe I've been doing this, you know, X, Y, or Z for however long or however many years or however long I thought like this. Do you think God woke up that morning and was like, can you believe this sin that he had? Who knew? I mean, (gasps) mystery of mysteries. Yeah, of course he knew. That's why I always ask you, how many of your sins were future sins when Christ died? All of them. You are not that old. Even if you feel like you're that old some days, you are not that old. Which means his grace and his mercy that covered those sins from three years ago is the same grace and mercy that are going to cover those sins you're working with three years from now. Again, you don't say that flippantly, but you recognize that I live cleansed. I live redeemed. That's why we can fight in war against sin. Because we're going to have victory. We're going to win. Why? Because Christ has already won. The victory has been provided. It has been granted. Therefore, I can fight because I am working towards the reality of what Christ has accomplished. So, you ready for bulk verses? Oh, actually, take it back. We can't go there yet. There is one thing we have to deal with, and it's a good lesson on your Old Testament. All right. So, he made the laver of bronze with its base of bronze from the mirrors of the serving women who served at the doorway of the tent of meeting. All right, rewind to before Christmas. God moved in the hearts of the people so that when they needed to take up a collection of all the things for the the tabernacle, what happened? Do you remember? They brought a pile of stuff and then they went home and realized what? We have more stuff. So they picked all that stuff up and brought it back and then they went home and said, we have more stuff. So they picked that up and brought it back to the point that the workmen said, we're doing so much inventory work that we can't actually do any building work. Please tell the people to stop. And Moses said, so they have piles of stuff for the building of the tabernacle, more than they could possibly use, more than they will ever need. Why do they have to take the bronze from the mirrors? Because that's how you'd have a mirror back in the day. You'd take a piece of bronze and you'd polish it nice and shiny and you'd use it as a mirror. Why do they have to take the bronze from the mirrors of the serving women? And first of all, who are these serving women? What are they doing? All right, I have no idea. I have absolutely no idea. I can make three or four different guesses, and depending on who you read is depending on what you'll come up with. The only other place we really get any information about these women is in the book of First Samuel, because the sin of Eli's sons, Hophni and Phinehas, is that they are sleeping with these women. Well, I mean, not these women, but the women that are doing this job at the time of First Samuel, is they are sleeping with them at the tabernacle, which on the scale of wrong... You know, like, randomly sleeping with the women serving at the tabernacle and doing that at the tabernacle, like, that's that, that's, that's, that's pretty high up on the, on the scale there. So, but that's the only other thing we know about them. So some commentators think these are just women who are cleaning up the place. Some of them think they're women who are providing food, water, and doing whatever. Some of them think it's more nefarious, and I have no idea. And you're going to have to be okay with that. We talked about this way back when, when we started the book of Exodus, that we want to be dogmatic in Scripture about what? the things that Scripture is dogmatic about. And the places where we look at this and go, well, it could be A, it could be B, it could be C. You know what we have to say? It could be A, it could be B, and it could be C. Well, which one is it? It could be A, it could be B, and it could be... I have no idea. We get ourselves into trouble when we try to be dogmatic about the things that Scripture doesn't care about. I've I've used this before with you guys. It's our painting example. Like, you've never once looked at... um, Oh, how many of you have, like, a Thomas Kincaid? painting or picture or something in your house right you know what i'm talking about with all the lights and the snowy scenes have you ever once stared at that beautiful christmas village that he draws with all the lights and the bells and the tower and be like i wonder what's in that shadow behind the church why not it's a shadow i want to know what's in it well because let's be honest if the artist had wanted me to know it was in the shadow he'd have done what he'd have painted what was in it by focusing on what i can't see what am i missing everything I'm actually supposed to see. Welcome to what we do with our Bibles. We spend all our time, well, what was going on with these women? I have no idea, but i got to know. I have no idea, and you're not going to know, so focusing on that means you're going to miss what the message actually is being communicated. Don't miss the forest for the trees. And there's a lot of places in your Old Testament you have to be comfortable with that. We know a lot of the history thanks to the the blessings of the modern archaeology studies and things that they have done, but at the same time, we have a lot of things that we're just kind of like here's what the Bible says, here's what I think happened, but at the end of the day, And that doesn't make me real comfortable because I'm a person who likes answers. You couldn't possibly tell that, could you? That I I like knowing and understanding and being able to parse things out. So I have no idea, which means now you have no idea, and you know who's better for that? All of us. Because we can actually then focus and go, they're accomplishing what needs to be accomplished the way that God has proclaimed, and they're doing the work the way that he has laid out. For proof of that, now we'll go rapid fire and take a big chunk of Bible verses. You ready? Verse 9 and following. Then he made the court, for the south side of the, the hangings of the court were of fine twisted linen, 100 cubits, their 20 pillars and their 20 sockets made of bronze, the hooks of the pillars and their bands were of silver. For the north side, there were 100 cubits. "'Their pillars and their sockets were of bronze, "'The hooks of the pillars and their bands were of silver. "'For the west side there were hangings of fifty cubits, "'With their ten pillars and their ten sockets, "'The hooks of the pillars and their bands were of silver. "'For the east side fifty cubits, "'The hangings for the one side of the gate were fifteen cubits, "'And with the three pillars and the three sockets, "'And so for the other side, "'On both sides of the gate of the court "'Were hangings of fifteen cubits, "'With their three pillars and their three sockets.'" All the hangings of the court, all around, were of fine twisted linen. The sockets for the pillars were of bronze, the hooks of the pillars and their bands of silver, and the overlaying of their tops of silver, and all the pillars of the court were furnished with silver bands. The screen of the gate of the court was the work of the weaver, of blue and purple and scarlet material, and fine twisted linen. And the length was twenty cubits, and the height was five cubits, corresponding to the hangings of the court. Their four pillars and their four sockets were of bronze, their hooks were of silver, and the overlaying of their tops and and their bands were of silver. All the pegs of the tabernacle and of the court all around were of bronze. You got all that, right? Now, sure, exactly. couple of notes about that. Notice how it's all put together in socket and pillar and support beams. That's because we got to do what every time we move? We're gonna be able to take this thing down. So while we want it to be anchored, we don't want it to be too anchored, but we've got it We've got to have it stable and secure. This, is the, this would be the best way to do it. It'd also be a seamless design because by putting the boards up and joining them together and then putting support bars and beams around them and socketing them to the floor, this sucker would be sturdy and it would be seamless. It would also be with blue and purple and embroiderings and coverings. When you looked at this thing, what would you say? Wow. Cool. I mean, look at this thing. I mean, we have white walls. Imagine if they were all blue and purple, and there's gold embroiderings of angels everywhere. You kind of like takes a minute and go, "Wow, somebody put a lot of effort into this. It would be beautiful and ornate and large." Why? Have you stopped lately and just looked around? See, I, I don't do this as often. Um, okay, personal history, just as a reminder: born in born in Connecticut i um, born on Long Island Sound, lived there for eight, nine years, and moved to North Carolina for 25 years, and now I'm here. I did not do a lot of traveling west before moving here, been to, you know, to Texas and Louisiana a few times for, for meetings and things. But the thing that always strikes me, and it doesn't as often, and that's a shame because I, I miss that feeling, but in North Carolina and in the southeastern United States, it's lots of, even in the eastern, uh, eastern coast, even the, the coastal plain, it's a lot of hilly regions and there are trees everywhere. That's why I hate driving on the interstate in the southeastern United States. You can't see anything. It's just you and the pine trees and, you know, the guardrail and... And so with that, you get out past about Kentucky, especially in the, on the northern end, and the thing that just kept bugging me is I'm driving around and there's nothing and it's wide open, and the sky is really big. And that may sound like something dumb to say out loud, but it's striking. And if it doesn't strike you on a regular basis, just stop and pay attention that there's a lot of blue stuff up there. And then you don't like thinking about it for a minute because you know what you start feeling? Really small and insignificant. And every once in a while we drive back to visit Cameron's parents, and we start driving out again. It starts hitting me again that just how big this place is. And you can see pictures and you go visit things and they're just beautiful. And you recognize that it is God's mind that thought of all of these things. It is His work that has created. He has designed and constructed and laid out all of this. Why should worship be less than? Because what is worship supposed to do? It's supposed to honor and praise and describe God. Well, what do we know about His creation? the earth is the Lord's and all it contains the world and those who dwell in it for he has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the rivers this is why we should actually you want to see what sin corrupts and how deeply it corrupts did you know or were you the person who had a different physical feature in school and what did the other children do about it (laughs) if you were the really tall kid was that something that was cool no, something to pick on you about. If you're the really short kid, or if you had big ears, or your nose was different, or you, whatever it was, children are brutal, aren't they? Well, why are we like that? And don't just blame your parents. It's not all their fault. You had grandparents too. Don't forget that. <laughs> why are we different? Think of the imagination. Think of the creativity that God possesses that we don't look the same. And then realize that we try to describe and praise him and worship and how amazingly we fall short. That that level of creativity, that level of ingenuity is who he is at his core and what he does in everything. So now when you go home and look at your big ears, you can go, God gave me these ears and they are amazing. <laughs> or my crooked nose or, you know, my weird teeth or whatever it is. It's something that is different about you because that is the way that God has designed and laid out you. And rather than celebrate that in creation, we do what? We turn it into insults and mocking because that's what sin corrupts. It takes the good thing that God has made. And rather than be something to celebrate, it is something to deride and produce scorn. How shameful are we on a regular basis? This is why I tell you that sin corrupts everything. Now, their worship is supposed to be what? Ornate, beautiful, high, lofty. Christian, what's your worship supposed to be? The same thing. Now, where does that start? With you. What was the attitude you brought to worship? What was the mindset you brought to worship? Did you go, oh, I don't like that song that much. I don't care. You know what you should do? Worship. I don't like that verse that much. I, don't, I, I like this. Worship. It is praise and honor to God. Not based on what I like, but based on who he is. There's a difference in all of those things. Now, yes, is it sometimes easier when it's everything you like? Of course, we're sinful people. But at the same token, that's a lesson for you also, that I come with what? A prepared heart, a prepared mind, a prepared attitude that is built upon the praise and honor and worship of God. Not just on Sunday morning, people. You knew I was going to get you, didn't you? you take that knife and just go, yeah, one good time. Every act of your life is worship. Whether you to drink or all that you do, do all to the glory of God. God repeats Himself. It's 1 Corinthians ten thirty one and similar verses. Colossians three seventeen. If God repeats Himself, like when did you did you have, did you tell your children things multiple times because you like the sound of your own voice? <laughs> it feels like that some days, but that's not why you did it. So does God repeat because he likes the sound of his own voice? No, it's because it might be important. You might be wanting to pay attention that your life. Romans 12 is a spiritual act of worship. That all that you are is worship. How you talk to your family, how you talk to your kids, how you talk to your neighbors, how you build and disciple yourself, how you walk in the word are all part of discipleship, which is a part of worship. And it is supposed to be what? For the glory, honor, and praise of God. Now, does it build you up? Yes, but that's not the point Again, getting you to think that it's not about you, even though it starts with you, but it's about your focus in life upon God. Same thing for the Israelite. Because here's the other fun part. All these in- ornate things in the tent of meaning, who's going to see them? Because <laughs> we're going to put covers on them. And is the average Israelite, like, I, do the, I don't know if the Mormons still do this. Um, The Mormons, and they're a cult, and you can quote me on that, Um, before they consecrate one of their temples, because once they've consecrated the temple, if a non-Mormon goes in there, it's defiled, and there's a whole rigmarole they got to go through, but they make these big, ornate buildings with giant baptistries and stuff. Before they'll consecrate a temple, they will let people go through and look at it. Just so they can show off, I guess. I have no idea why. Is it is is that what God is God gonna do that? Like before the priests offer the sacrifice, be like, all right, Israel, line starts at the left, and if you would like to come in and view the inside of the tabernacle, because it's the only time you're gonna see it, then line up over here and we'll go through two at a time. Sound like a plan? No, they're not gonna do that. They're gonna build this thing, they're gonna cover it, and the only people going in there are the Levites, and they're gonna go in there to offer sacrifice, and God is going to know. So why go to all the trouble? because it's not about Israel, and it's not about the Levite. It's about God and the focus upon him. It's a focus for the, for the Levite. Levite's going to walk in there and be reminded every time he goes in there to offer sacrifice, to offer prayer, to do whatever he's going to do, that what? This is for God. This is what God has done. This is what he has built. And I better get my heart and mind in line accordingly. Christian, where's that Holy Spirit again? Dwelling inside of his people. Every morning, God is walking. Working, spurring, guiding, leading. Get your heart, get your mind organized. Get my pages unstuck. All right, 21. This is the number of the things for the tabernacle, the tabernacle of the testimony, as they were numbered according to the command of Moses for the service of the Levites by the hand of Ithamar, the son of Aaron the priest. I love this. We're going to have an accounting section. This is like when everybody gets to, um, was it, is it, it's 1 Chronicles, right? Like the first nine or ten chapters of 1 Chronicles is the, um, the census of Israel, and everybody does what when they're reading? They go, uh-huh, mm-hmm, still counting people, yep, still counting people. Ooh, ooh now they're doing stuff, and then we slow down to read. Why is there an accounting section of the tabernacle? Proverbs 11.1. 1. A false balance is an abomination to the Lord, but a just weight is his delight. And did God prove that to his people? That his scales are even? Yes. Yes, he did. Exodus 16. This is what the Lord has commanded gather of it every man as much as he should eat. All right, what's the it? Who's got a guess? What are we going out to gather, Israel, every day? We're getting, we're getting the manna. You shall take an omer apiece according to the number of persons each of you has in his tent. The sons of Israel did so and gathered, and some gathered much and some little. When they measured it with an omer, he who had gathered much had no excess, and he who had gathered little had no lack. Every man gathered as much as he should eat. So in other words, when they followed the command as God told them to gather, what did they have? Enough. Well, how much did you get? Enough. How much did I get? Enough. How much did they get? Enough. It didn't matter if you had more. You had more because you had more people. More people means more manna, more mouths, more work. (laughs) Always remember that part. I got enough. In other words, God's scales were balanced. He provided for his people's needs. Christian, what's changed? You'd like an example of this from your New Testament, or better yet, a warning of this from your New Testament? James chapter 2. Brethren, do not hold your faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ with an attitude of personal favoritism. For if a man comes into your assembly with a gold ring and dressed in fine clothes, and there also comes in a poor man in dirty clothes, and you pay special attention to the one who is wearing the fine clothes, and say, you sit here in a good place, and you say to the poor man, you stand over there, or sit down by my footstool. Have you not made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil motives?" The answer is, yes. Yes, you have. Which means when we give an account of the person, What is our accounting based on? Their value according to their world or their value according to the gospel? That matters. That matters greatly. Because when we get that wrong, we've gotten off track. We've fallen into the world's trap. We've followed into their methods. And the work that's supposed to begin with and in us has had a false start. You know, the engine hasn't quite turned over. You ever had a dead battery in the winter? That's kind of what we're doing as Christians when we're doing this and we're forgetting the work that God has done. We're not getting that start right. Stop for that too. Christ died. Go back to go. Collect your $200 and do what? Begin again. Because when can I walk faithfully? Now, that is over. Christ's grace and mercy covers that. We start again and say, okay, I measure not by the world, but by the person. Not by their standard, but by God's value. Meaning I'm constantly checking my heart, constantly checking my mind, and constantly walking according to the ways that would honor who? God. Because it's not about me, and it's not about you, and it's not about that. It's about how I worship and stand before God. And which part of my life is worship again? Just make sure we're on the same page. Just making sure we're good. Okay. And that matters in how we live because God cares about what again? Yeah, all those little details. And by the way, those little details are us. Now, Bezalel, the son of Uri, the son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah, made all that the Lord had commanded Moses. With him was Aholiab, the son of Ahisamach. If you're looking for names for grandkids, nieces, nephews, not a whole lot of Ahisamachs running around, right? Just, Just throwing that out there. Of the tribe of Dan, an engraver, and a skillful workman, and a weaver in blue, and in purple, and in scarlet material, and fine linen. See, I like that this is part of the accounting section as well, because God spurred the people to bring the materials. The tabernacle is going to be built according to the command of God, and who's going to do the work? The people that God has appointed to do it. Christian, has anything changed? 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Always remember your spiritual gifts lists. Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12, and I just lost one of them. I hate when that happens. I hate when that does that. Um, 1 Peter 4 and um, Ephesians 4. Oh, that was rough. See, it's 2 12s and two fours. That's how you remember. You just got to get the books right. 1 Corinthians 12. There are a variety of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are varieties of ministries, but the same Lord. And these are varieties of effects, but the same God who works all things in all persons. But to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. So, you ready? Who's the useless person at church? <laughs> there is a man who understood who the chief of sinners is. I like it. I like it a lot. Notice what he didn't do. Because <laughs> the answer is there isn't one. You're here. Why? You woke up one morning and be like, I'm going to Calvary. And then you sat here and you liked something about it or you liked the people. Something in the back of your brain went, I'm staying here. Well, who did that? God did. Why? Because the Holy Spirit is building his church. You have a role. You have a job. You have some sort of gifting from the Spirit. I may have no earthly idea what it is. You may have no earthly idea what it is. You know what you should do? Start figuring out what needs to be done and help out. And you know what you'll eventually figure out? I don't like this. Well, you know what? If you don't like this, you know what you should do? Fine. No, 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 you shouldn't. In church, you should find something you do like. And if there's nothing at the place that you feel like you're supposed to be that you like, you know what you should do? Figure out what the thing is that you do like and start doing that. Because now you know why God brought you there. People give me weird looks in meetings to be like, well we have this great idea and it sounds like a great idea and we run it through all the 17 committees that Baptist churches have and we all decide it was a great idea and then we try to do it. And you know what happens? Yeah. Nobody showed up. Nobody gave any money, and nobody wanted to do anything. But it was a great idea. So what? The Holy Spirit went, "No." Because if it was a really great idea and God wanted it done, what would he have done? Somebody with the gifting in the church would be like, "Oh, that's my area. I will take care of that." He didn't. So you know what we got to do? We got to do something else. But I really like that thing. I I get that, but nobody else does. Therefore, we do the thing that everybody is gifted in because that's what God has given us. Doesn't do us any good to sit there and be like, I'm going to play in the NBA. You're 5'6", you're a little round, you can jump a little bit, but you get winded running back and forth 12 times. You're not playing in the NBA. Go be a defensive lineman. Ooh, I'm good at that one. (laughs) And I was, and that's what I did. I can be good at it. I'm short, stocky. You can't move me. Awesome. Good deal. Just plug me into the ground and and, and, can't go that way. Find your gifting. That's where God has placed you and that's what we do. Whether you pray, whether you can encourage, whether you can serve, whether you can organize, whether you can administer, whatever it is, there is something you're good at. And you know what? You're going to be good at something until the day you die. Because until the day you die, God is not done with you and he is still working with you. You've heard me say this before. We need the little young ones and we need the hunching over old ones. Because I'm getting closer to that every day. (laughs) There are days now I'm walking around the house going, what what is, okay, wait a minute. Okay, there we go. Okay, that's, and then I find myself a half an hour later going, what, stop it. (laughs) (laughs) We need all of that. Why? Because we need your wisdom and we need your energy and we need your joy, and we need your curmudgeonliness. We even need Vern telling us to get off his lawn. Because sometimes we need to be told, and I don't know where Vern is, I'm going to call him later and double check on him. But I laugh about that, but we need somebody to be a little bit cynical to stop and say, time out, is that a good idea? And to think through all the ways it could possibly go wrong. That's good news, isn't it? Before we invest energy and time and money. So we need... All of those things. We need the optimist. We need the pessimist. We need the prayer. We need the worker. We need the doers. We need the givers. We need all of those things. And by the grace of God, he does what? He sends them, which means we do what? Just like Corinthians. Each, to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Be like, well, I have my ministry. Fine, I'm not talking to you. <laughs> but if you don't, find it. Serve. Build the kingdom as you make disciples in these ways. That's how this is always supposed to work. Now, the really, really cool part. You ready? All right, verse 24. All the gold that was used for the work and all the work of the sanctuary, even the gold of the wave offering, was 29 talents and 730 shekels according to the shekel of the sanctuary. Now, you guys all know exactly what that is, right? Of course you do, right? No, of course not. Um, typically, you're, if you have a good reference Bible, somewhere before the maps will be a table of weights and measures, you can go check on that. Um, 2,210 pounds of gold, give or take. It's a lot. <laughs> it's a lot. So just imagine, the. I mean, because Yes, we know the Israelites are rich because they plundered the Egyptians. But does that mean, like, were people bringing, like, 40-pound bars of gold into the town? Be like, here you go, melt this down and use it. No, the gold was typically contained how? Jewelry. It was in earrings and bracelets and rings and... Imagine 2,000 pounds of people dropping off necklaces and bracelets and earrings and rings and... Now you know why the workmen were like, Tell them to stop bringing things. We literally can't melt this stuff down to use it. Because remember, they're using the gold to make and cover, so I can't just take a bunch of rings, stick them on top of the oak table, and you know, hammer it out until it covers. I gotta melt that all down and get the heat, I mean... After a while, be like, there's literally a pile of stuff out back. Tell them to stop. We got it covered. The silver of those of the congregation who were numbered was 100 talents and 1,775 shekels, according to the shekel of the sanctuary. Um, 7,601 pounds of silver, give or take. <laughs> That's a lot of silver. <laughs> well, it's a couple tons, isn't it? A ton is 2,000 pounds, Right? 2,000 pounds, right? Yeah. So, three and a half tons, almost four tons of silver. And they don't have dump trucks. This is just people bringing their stuff, dropping it off, going on. Oh, I got more. Here you go. I mean, there's literally, like when you drive by the rock quarry or something, there's just piles of stuff out back. That's what it would look like for this. Now, I'm going to skip on you real quick um, to verse 27 and 28, RSL. The 100 talents of silver were for casting the sockets of the sanctuary and the sockets of the veil. 100 sockets for the 100 for the 100 talents, a talent for a socket. Of the 1775 shekels he made hooks for the pillars and overlaid their tops and made bands for them. All right, why do we have so much silver? this actually helps you see the continuity in your bible if you go back to exodus 30 when you take a census of the sons of israel to number them then each one of them shall give a ransom for himself when you number them so that there will be no plague among them when you number them and that goes back to verse 26 which is a becca ahead—that that is, half a shekel according to the shekel of the sanctuary for each one who passed over to those who were numbered from 20 years old and upward for 603,550 men. So when they did the census, all of those guys paid their half shekel in, and that's how we come up with some of these numbers, because a talent is more than the shekel, and you go look at your charts, it'll make sense. The bronze 29, the bronze of the wave offering was 70 talents and 2,400 shekels. With it, he made the sockets to the doorway of the tent of meeting and the bronze altar and its bronze grating and all the utensils of the altar and the sockets of the court all around and the sockets of the gate of the court and all the pegs of the tabernacle and all the pegs of the court all around. 5,350 pounds of bronze. (laughs) so I didn't, I should have added it up beforehand, shouldn't I, so let's see, that's an extra thousand, so two, seven is nine, and five, four, Fifteen thousand pounds of precious metals for the tabernacle, so what's that, seven and a half tons, yeah, I'm a history major, not a math guy, so go me for getting that one right. I mean, that's just piles and piles of stuff. Do you understand a little bit more when we talk about God stirred the hearts of the people and they just kept bringing stuff and bringing stuff and bringing stuff, what that looked like? Now you get a picture of it. Now, what's the grand lesson? Why is an accounting section so fun unless you're a Bible nerd like me and you just think this is really fun that all these details are here? Second Corinthians chapter nine. God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that always having all sufficiency in everything, you may have an abundance for every good deed. Where do you think Paul understood that from? Where do you think his proof of that was? You go, well, it was proved in his life, and they have all the things that happened, yeah. Is it also proved in the history of God and his people? Yep, there you go. They got so much stuff, they're giving away tons of it. Tons of it. Do you understand a little bit more of why this matters for our lives today. Jesus in John 14, I will ask the Father, we just did this, was this last week? I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper that he may be with you forever. That is the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it does not see him or know him, but you know him because he abides with you and will be in you. The God who can provide that level of provision for Israel is the God who provides his spirit for your daily walk. It is the God who guides, directs, encourages, strengthens. This is why I don't feel bad telling you, find a ministry and start serving. Because if you're a Christian, you're not going to be offended. You know why? Because the Holy Spirit's been telling you what? You need to find a ministry and start serving. Like, hey, you, stop, go, do something. That's why I don't go out of my way a lot of Sundays to try to find specific things to tell you to do. Be like, you need to go do this thing. Because you know what? That's not my job. That's the Holy Spirit's job. And you know who's really good at his job? Dumb thing I'm going to say alert. You know who's really good at his job? God is really good at his job. Here's the other dumb thing. God is better at doing his job than I am. Who'd have thunk that, right? So the Holy Spirit is moving. He's spurring. It's my job just to kind get of you, get you pointed in the right direction and let God keep, kicking you the, keep keep kicking you the rest of the way down the line because he's going to get you where you need to go. Which is why I can say, find a ministry, serve. Why? Because the Holy Spirit has already been spurring you to that. He's already gifted you for that, and you'll know when you get there. Find a way that you can build. Be wary of the world and be aware of what is going on in your heart and your mind. Because as we guard those things, we are cooperating with the work that he is doing. Which means there's a whole lot more of the walking footprints in the sand and a whole lot less of the dragging the dead body. Like You're going. Come on. Let's go. And what would you rather do? Would you rather the Holy Spirit drag you kicking and screaming or would you rather him encourage you along the way? Welcome to why you care about sanctification because I want the Holy Spirit encouraging. Therefore, I do what? Wake up each morning with the realization of who I was and what God has done about that. Who he is and what he is doing to fix all of the brokenness inside of me. And that in spite of me, he declares me good and he declares me clean now. And because of his great work, he is going to spur me to completion. And all I want to do is make sure that I walk in that way. The examples are given in the history of Israel. I've said this a thousand times. If you want to understand your prophets, you want to understand the provisions of God, understand his work in salvation. And that work is so clearly shown throughout his working in saving Israel in the Exodus. Because nothing has changed. The same God that put up with them is the same God that puts up with us and the same God that can carry them across the finish line is the same God who will carry us across the finish line as well because he has not forgotten he has not forsaken and he will accomplish his good work in his people let's pray